The reading this evening comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning at the first verse. If you would like to follow it in the Church Bibles, it's on page 1113. Acts 17, 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who've caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, we do thank you for today. We thank you for this time to listen to your word. May may you speak to us, Lord, and may we 
response, respond to obedience in your word. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. In his book, Preaching for Preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones tells a story of going to preach at the University of Oxford. Um, this was in 1941, and his congregation was mainly students. And he said, I preached to them as I would preach anywhere else. Anyway, um, at question time, uh, at the end of the session, someone complained about the sermon. He criticized it, and he said, it could have well been delivered to a congregation of farm laborers or anyone else. And this is how Martin Lloyd-Jones responded. He said, I regarded undergraduates and indeed graduates of Oxford students as being just human clay and miserable sinners like everybody else and held the view that their needs were precisely the same as those of agricultural laborers or anyone else. I had preached as I had done quite deliberately. There is no greater fallacy to think that you need a gospel for special types of people. In other words, he's saying that the same gospel for Europe's farmers is the same gospel for the philosophers in Athens. It's the same gospel for Oxford and University Cambridges of today. Or it's the same gospel for the elites and intellectuals for that day. And it's the same gospel for the working class. In fact, it is the same gospel for my, for my parents who are peasants back in Uganda. And this is the gospel of Christ crucified. And this is what we're going to see today, that preaching the gospel powerfully changes hearts of individuals, nations, cities. But here's the caution. It comes with severe opposition. We're at a point in Acts where the gospel is coming to Europe. Thessalonica was the first city. The gospel came to in Europe. Momentum is building, and the way is cleared by, by the Jerusalem Council, having declared that the Gentiles can come into God's people without adopting Jewish customs. And the question is, how will the gospel cope in Europe's big cities of trade, cities of prosperity, of philosophy, of wealth, and wickedness, how will the gospel do? Will it be unstoppable like it was in rural Asia? How will it do? We are told that Paul arrived in Thessalonica from Philippa. If you remember last Sunday, Paul was in Philippa and we saw that dramatic conversion of the Philippian jailer. And because Thessalonica was a seaport, it was a place of trade, prosperity, affluence. But like I said, it was also a place of wickedness and licentiousness. You can easily imagine as men came, arrived from the sea, they were headed to the red light district to meet their needs. And in addition to that, Thessalonica had a lot of temples and shrines and, and it catered to all kinds of gods. Of gods. But the main religion in Thessalonica was that of the Roman imperial cult. Every Roman citizen was called upon to worship Caesar. But amidst all of that, 
there was a Jewish temple. And we are told as poor as he always did, that was his custom, he went into the synagogue. Now, we are told that he was in the synagogue for three days, but we know for sure that Paul spent several months in Thessalonica. We know this through the letters he wrote to this church. He was there, and most of his converts were, in fact, Gentiles. Many of them were Gentiles. But in our text today, Luke focuses on this ministry towards the Jews. And let's see what Paul did in the temple. Paul proclaimed Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. He says he reasoned with them from, from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and raise from the dead. The word Messiah, uh, the word risen indicates a dialogue, a back and forth. Perhaps Paul presented that truth to the congregation, and the congregation asked questions and challenges from the congregation, and he responded to that. But notice the basis of the dialogue in verse 2. He reasoned with them from Scripture. Paul began with what they knew. They knew Scripture. They knew the Old Testament. In, in Paul's days, Scripture was the Old Testament, and most Jews knew the Old Testament because they learned that through their childhood. And so Paul's basis for reasoning with them is from the Scripture. You see, when you reason with someone, you give them a basis, the fundamentals. You give them motive for action or decision. In other words, you presented them with a truth. It was logical. It was persuasive from the scripture. Possibly, he took them to Psalms 22, which describes the crucifixion of Christ which was written hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified. Or maybe he took them to Isaiah, which talks about the Messiah despised, forsaken, pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. He reasoned with them, answered all their questions from the word of God. Now, this is important for us Christians that as we witness to people we have to take them to the Bible. We have to get them to read the Bible for themselves. You see, we, 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 we're so much in a culture that does not want to offend, so we never, we really don't talk about the Bible. We don't bring it out. We don't encourage the non-believers to read it. And sometimes we share gospel leaflets, and that's okay. But let's make sure that they know where the verses are coming from because the Word of God is powerful. And remember, faith comes from hearing the word of God, as Paul tells us in Romans 10. And so Paul reasoned with them. He dialogued with them from Scripture. He went on. He explained to them. He gave them evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. You see, to explain is to open up something that has been hidden, to interpret of what they've had. I remember when I first came to this country the first couple of months, I went and visited in Liverpool and, and Newcastle. And so often people would speak to me and I could hear what they are saying, but I could hardly make sense of what they were saying. And, and, and a few times I had to get someone to, to, what are they saying? What are they trying to say? 
And this is what Paul is, is doing here. He's helping them make sense. He's connecting the dots for them. But he does not stop there. He gave them evidence. Placing one scripture alongside another to support and prove that the Christ had to suffer, die, and rise again from the dead. Paul is making a very, very strong claim here that the Christ had to suffer and to rise again. This was not optional. It had to happen. You might remember that throughout Jesus' public ministry, he kept on predicting his death and resurrection. But this message of Christ's suffering, dying and rising from the dead, was very difficult for the Jews to understand. Why is it that the Christ, Son of God, the Anointed One, would have to suffer and die? How could someone be crucified and possibly be the Messiah? This does not make sense. Well, you might be here and probably that does not make sense to you. Or you're probably wondering, what does that mean for you? I think John gives us the answer in John 3.16, the well-known verse. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, you and I, we are destined to perish. We're destined for death, for eternal death, because we have sinned, all of us. None of us can meet God's standard. And because of that, sin had separated us. Sin separates us from God, but not just separating us from God. It places us right direct, in direct opposition with God. And so the consequences of sin are death, God's judgment, God's wrath, and death, as Paul makes it clear that for the wages of sin are death. But in God's love and mercy for us, he sent his son that took our judgment and punishment that was rightly ours, and so you and I can be reconciled to God. Now, it is remember that, it, it is really important to remember that God did not need to save human beings. Peter tells us in Second Peter that when the angels sinned, he did not save them. He threw them into hell, into hell. So God did not have to save human beings. But because of his great love for us, because of that steadfast love, because of that unfailing love, he chose to save us. You see, our forgiveness required the exchange of that innocent life in, us, in our place because of sin. And that forgiveness was bought by the blood of Christ that was poured out on the cross for our sin. Jesus died because he loves you and me. Look at the end of verse 3. Paul says, This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. You probably know that throughout the Gospels and repeatedly, um, they declare Jesus as the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, to come and save his people from the sins. And you might remember that scene where Jesus talks to this woman at the well in Samaria. This woman tells Jesus that, 
I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. Today, Jesus is still the Messiah, God-chosen one, anointed one, who has come to deliver us from sin and the power of Satan. And as the Messiah, he offers us forgiveness for our sins. He promises us salvation and a place in his coming kingdom. He's calling you and urging you. He's saying, come to me, come to me, and you will find rest. Paul proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue. But you see, when the gospel is proclaimed, when Jesus is proclaimed, it requires a response. We have to respond. We cannot be neutral about it. We either accept it or reject it. Many years ago, I used to work for a a tours and travel company, and uh, I met people from all over the world, and um, it was brilliant, it was good fun. We took them around East Africa and showed them all the parks, and, and it also meant that we spent a lot of time with these people, but also that meant that it was a great opportunity to have conversations with them. And so, inevitably, we'll talk about Christianity, and, and one of the most responses that really surprised me and came up more often, they, they, they all would say, most of them would say is that Christianity is for the poor. You guys need it, we don't need it. You see, it is very easy to think that the gospel is not up to the task of converting men and women in this sophisticated, technologically advanced, prosperous, postmodern world. And so we think to ourselves and say, let's recast the gospel. Let's soften it a bit. Let's make it culturally sensitive that maybe people will hear it. Or maybe let's compromise on one or two things. What's the problem anyway? Maybe it will connect to the modern day London person in 2020. Well, we must resist that temptation. Look at what happened when Paul preached the word of God. Verse 4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Cyrus, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and Greeks, and quite a few prominent women. Verse 11, now the Berean Jews were of, of more noble character than, the, than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed and did also a number of prominent Greek women and Greek women. They received the gospel. Their hearts were changed. Some of the Jews, some of the Greek men and women, in fact, we are told that in the Berean Jews, they received the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures every day what a fantastic image. They receive the truth and every day they go back to the Bible, to the word of God, examining it, wondering or verifying whether what Paul told them, what the apostles told them is true. But I want us to notice the, the order here, and, and I think it's very important. The Bereans received the word of God, then they examined it, and then finally believe. You see, 
the apostles told them about Jesus, they had to first receive it. They didn't, you know, they didn't just go and say, oh, you know, we're not quite sure about this. They received it first and then went to the scripture to verify it, to examine it, and then believed the word of God. And I think this is for us important as Christians that as we listen, as we hear talks and sermons, we need to go back and receive that word, but we need to go back and verify that word, that word of God. And after we've verified it, we believe, but most importantly as well, we guard it by the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul preached the good news and people received it with, with eagerness. But this created a problem. Some of the Jews were really upset. They were so upset that they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started to riot in the city. But the question is that, why does the gospel upset so much people? You've probably experienced this. As soon as you mention the Bible, Christianity, Jesus, people get really upset. You see, when the gospel is proclaimed, it comforts our sin. It shines a big light in our, in our hearts. It comforts us with the truth. And to be honest, when we look into our hearts, I don't know about you, I don't like what I see. It calls us to surrender. And we so often do not want that. No wonder the Jews were gathering up these bad characters they were jealous. They were losing power to see their fellow Jews surrendering their lives to Christ. They were also afraid of the political consequences. Because remember, Thessalonica was a free city under the Roman rule. You see, these Jews thought that the Messiah would be a conquering king who would deliver them from Rome and their enemies. And they did not like the idea, the notion of him suffering and dying for sinners. Because, of course, it implied that they were sinners as well. And they did not think of themselves as sinners. They liked the idea of a king who would make their life comfortable for them. But not a king who would comfort them with their sin. But repeatedly, the gospel teaches that Jesus is the Savior of our sinners and Lord of all. And so, if we proclaim the gospel and do not talk about sin, we might as well just say, oh, let's just be nice to each other and let's go home. Teaching the good news is proclaiming that Jesus is Savior and Lord of all. But let's be warned that whenever we proclaim good news, we will face opposition. We've already seen through the book of Acts, the apostles faced opposition. It isn't new, it isn't strange, it's normal. And we should not be surprised when we face opposition. In fact, we should expect it. Paul promises exactly that in Second Timothy. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In the same way, Jesus reminds us, if the world hates you, keep in mind that he hated me first. So don't be surprised, because Jesus is not surprised.
But I want us to remember, most importantly, that God is sovereign. God is in charge, and his purposes, his will, cannot be thwarted with anything, by anything. And so, let's trust in him. Let's surrender our lives to him. Let's not stop in doing God's work, proclaiming Christ, because he is in charge, and he is sovereign. Let's share what truth and hope we have in Christ. Let's reach out to the people and say, Jesus loves you. Come and find rest in him. Well, you might be here and you don't have the hope in Christ. You don't know what that means for you. Do not live without making that decision or speaking to someone. Talk to someone before you go. Explore it. You see, the good news of Jesus Christ requires a response, and the proper response is to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and follow him as Lord, no matter the cost. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the sacrifice. Uh, we do thank you for your work on the cross. We pray that you remind us of that in almost truth every day. And we pray for those who don't know you, who don't have that hope in you, that, Lord, they'll come and find him rest in you. They'll come and find hope in you. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. <laughs>